0: Kelly said, getting angry doesn't solve anything. That's not that good of a quote. So let's try another one. Buddha said, the sharpest sword is a word spoken in wrath. It's a pretty good one. It's getting better, but we'll try one more. So here's one from Mark Twain. Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. That's what I'm talking about and it rhymes. Um, So welcome in, this is Religionless Christianity. And today, like in every episode, we are looking to help you live a life as a Christ follower in this more increasingly secular world. And again, we aren't theologians, pastors or apologists, we're just two people that love Jesus. Um, So if we get something wrong or you disagree with us, don't lash out at us. please jump on here and correct us. Um, Help sharpen us. That's what we're hoping for. Um, Start a conversation. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. Um, So today, with this episode, we're moving into, what is this, deadly sin number, is it four Four. or three? We've done
1: vainglory, envy, and adverse.
0: So this is deadly sin number four today. And um, before we get into the news of the week, and ultimately our deadly sin. Is there anything you would like to say?
2: Um, we'll just update you guys. I know we asked for prayer about where to live because it's coming time for us to move. Um, look, our lease is going to be up at the end of May. And since we still don't really know what's going on uh, work-wise with Spencer, where they might put him uh, location-wise, but we decided to be content where we are. Uh, you know, we've told you how it's not ideal, especially with recording here. Um, and we have peace about it. We both were thinking on it, considering staying here, which I thought would never be something <laughs> that Spencer would even want to think about. Yeah. And we both were like fine with it. We just feel like that's wise. And um, I also have a couple more Job opportunities in this area. So that's also a good reason to stay. Although that didn't have anything really with my thinking in staying here. It was just kind of like the next day I um, was presented the opportunity to have another job. The same thing, cleaning condos, Airbnbs, and they're close by. So that's a blessing praise God for that.
0: Yeah, no, we definitely um, appreciate any of your prayers if you did pray for us. And yeah, we never really thought that, you know, every time we talked about moving, it was always like, I don't know where we're going, but we're not staying here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think we have peace about it. You know, the kids are starting to make friends. And again, with my work, life being, you know, a little uncertain. And again, please pray for us there. You yeah. know. My Mm -hmm. religious accommodation is still um, up in the air. We're still working through all that. So we didn't want to have to get in the position of moving somewhere and then two to three months later, maybe having to move again, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. So we're just going to stick it out here. Um, So that means we've got some work to do. You know, we wanted to get a better, you know, podcasting uh, space for us. So now we're just going to have to make do with where we're at and try to improve it as best we can. And which is fun for me because I like improving things, um, so that'll be fun. But yeah, just you know, give us peace and or pray that we would have peace about this and that it would work out for the best. And Nikki does have some good job opportunities, which is a blessing. So, and I'm here working with my brother, which is a blessing. So, yep. Please just pray for us there. And then now, before we dive into the news fully, um, let me just get my weekly. Cardinal solutions plug out of the way here. And um, I've talked to you guys about this company for the last couple of weeks. So just one piece that I wanted to touch on here for Cardinal solutions, you know, if maybe you're in the law enforcement world, one of the things that they've been doing a lot lately is the messaging and counter exploitation training. And I think this is super valuable for law enforcement, you know, fire departments, government workers, whatever it happens to be in this crazy world that we live in. You know, everyone's got a phone and people are like actively out looking to catch you stumbling, especially law enforcement. So give Cardinal Solutions a call if you know someone in the law enforcement world and get the tools that you need to sort of drive that message and turn the exploitation attempts into opportunities, you know, for whatever your positive messaging is. Um, So we'll have Cardinal again in the links. You can go check them out, send them an email. Um, It's not spam. They're not going to try to blow up your inbox. They just want to help you. And I think they have the tools to do that. So, all right. Brace yourself. Um, Go get some ginger ale and pop a peppermint to prepare (laughs) your stomach. Um, Maybe more so than ever this week um, as we take our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death and look at the news of the week. And most of these stories, they do come from the Christian realm, because I thought that there was some good discussion to be had there. Well, I think week. it's
2: good, because I'm always talking about we're judging the world versus, you know, we're called to judge the church. Yeah, Not and to we judge, do. to condemn, obviously, but judge no, what's I mean, going on, how to handle it. That's always been my issue with our news.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'm just as guilty as anyone of getting caught up in what's going on in the world. and. You know, and we do get off a little bit there. Mm-hmm. And this is a Christian show, and we want to help Christians know how to live. So we should be yeah. more focused on the Christian um, side of the house.
2: Right. Because so. we are we can focus on the world, but the problem is that, like, the world is infiltrating the church. Yeah. It's like you're warning Christians to stay out of the world, but the world is the church. And that's the yeah. bigger issue.
0: And largely the stuff in the world doesn't really change that drastically. You know, it's still on fire, right? Just like it was last week. Russia and Ukraine are still at war. Yeah. You know, so they still need our prayers there. Mm -hmm. Not just Ukraine. But again, you know, we've talked before. There's Christians in Russia that need our prayers. And, um, you know, our politicians are still slimy weasels. That hasn't changed from last week. So, um, and I will just mention this because it got my blood boiling um, as I was reading through it. One article on politics. Um, So if you are, um, you know, the, I guess the article that I had seen, you know, just after um, our politicians spent, or are currently, you know, driving our economy through massive inflation, um, and they just got out of killing our economy slowly over the last two years during COVID lockdowns. Um, they saw fit to reward themselves for all of their awful work with a 21% pay raise. Now, this isn't a pay raise for themselves necessarily, um, but I believe it's a pay raise essentially for their staffs. So each, you know, congressman, senator, they all have staffs. So this is a 21% pay raise for their staff. And um, even still, you know, Steny Hoyer is who I grabbed here. And if you're unfamiliar with Steny Hoyer, he's a career bureaucrat. And by career bureaucrat, of course, I mean he's been in Congress since 1981. Can you imagine that? He's been in Congress for over 40 years. Do you think he's in touch with normal society? I would imagine no. He was born in 1939, before World War II started. Yeah. So do you think he has a strong grasp on how to handle this new digital age that we're living in? I mm-hmm. would imagine no. Um, but anyways, yeah. getting off track there. What Steny Hoyer said and why I wanted to mention this, um, he believes... Let me pull this up. No. Oh. He believes... Down here, if I can find it. It says it in here. We'll have this linked. Um, Congressional staffers moving on to more competitive opportunities after an average of just three years, creating the space for raising staff pay across the board is critical to recruiting and retaining the best and brightest to help us serve our constituents so that congressional staff pay can be priority and enhance this institution's ability to deliver for the people. So mm, my question like for you: <laughs> Do you feel like Congress and their staffers have been delivering for you the last couple of years? Because um, I know me personally, I would much prefer these supposedly highly talented staffers that are going to work there and leaving after three years to not even go there in the first place. If you're that talented, go to the private sector and work to do good for the world. Um, you know, rather than figuring out how to take more money and more freedom away from American citizens. Yep. But anyways, moving away from politics, <laughs> on to much more um, upsetting topics, I suppose. It didn't start out this way, but it <laughs> quickly turned into it. So, um, this first article that we have here is from the Christian Post. And if you want to read this headline, honey.
2: Yeah, Elevation Worship goes outside normal worship box with new album.
0: Yep. So, Elevation Worship. Um, the band, yeah, obviously, I'm sure most of you are aware of them. They're they have some of the biggest hits in sort of the Christian worship genre of music. Um, songs like, I think, "Oh, Come to the Altar" is one of their big ones.
2: I gotta say, I didn't, I don't follow really. I don't know who's writing music unless it pops up on the screen in our van, like because my our daughter likes to know who the the person is or what the band name is because she likes to play the music and, and dance around the house. But that's the only time I'm paying attention to who songwriters are. But there's so many of their songs we've sung and I didn't know it was their music.
0: And that's why I thought this was important to touch on because, you know, Elevation Worship, outside of maybe the most like stringent, you know, reformed Christian out there, We've all heard their songs. We all sing their songs. If you have children, they most likely enjoy their songs. So that's why I think, you know, this is part of Christian life in America is elevation worship. They're they're in your life, whether you like it or not. And
2: their songs um, are sung in every, pretty much every yeah, I mean, like if you go evangelical to any sort of
0: evangelical church. Yep. You've probably sung a elevation worship song. And why this article jumped out to me is because the lead singer, his name is Chris Brown. Um, He described the new album as quite an assortment of styles because it's so different from what Elevation Worship has released in the past. Um, So there's a lot of different angles to take this. And it doesn't sound, we'll have the song linked down in the show notes to um, this one main song that they're talking about, Lion, um, if you want to give it a listen. But, you know, it doesn't sound like anything different than what, you know, they've done in the past, but I'm torn for a lot of different reasons on Elevation Worship, and we've talked about some of these already, but, um, you know, a lot of people have problems with Elevation Worship in their music, and, you know, a lot of these other sort of, you know, I'll just call them like the K-Love Christian bands, and I'm torn because I read this article, let me see if I can pull it up here.
1: Give me just a second, get it pulled up so you guys can see that I'm not just making this up. Um,
0: yeah, right here, it's from this website called Crit Large. I don't know what that is, but he made this good point. Um, he says down here, when one examines the song's lyrics, one will find that it lacks any theological profundity as it opts to appeal to emotion and the oversimplification of biblical truth rather than sound doctrine. And yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, However, I also appreciate and recognize that more theologically sound hymns, they're not being played. Like if you get in your Mm -hmm. car, I mean, outside of you have a CD player or something and you're playing or you're hooked up your Bluetooth and you find your own music, But if you're just getting on the radio, like you're not hearing Martin Luther's, you know, a mighty fortress is our God. That's the Trinity hymnal is not played on radio stations. Um, So your kids may not hear this. Like you talked about, our daughter listens to this and likes to know who's singing it. So they won't hear those classic hymnals, maybe a lot more theologically sound songs, but they will sing this, you know, they, my daughter, My youngest daughter, she loves to grab our phone and put on like Zach Williams and Mm -hmm. she dances. And while I understand that their biblical truths are simplified, they're at least present. So I struggle Mm -hmm. with that because, yes, it'd be cool if my daughter was singing Agnes Day running around the house or something. She doesn't. But if she's singing, Oh, come to the altar, I feel like she's at least closer. So we really just wanted to get your guys' take on these points like what do you think about this music because nikki may not be as torn as me you know but i understand the flaw in it but i also appreciate that it's close right and you can at least open up a conversation of like hey you know why do we go to the altar what does that mean right like you can talk about it and they're singing it and they're still i don't know i don't know this is where
2: so just thinking your own walk with God. Um, Like, yeah, I started out as a Christian singing these songs. And I don't think I learned anything from this kind of music ever. Like, I don't think I ever learned any truths of scripture. They were just nice words. And some of them might have been true things about God, but they were very self-focused about your need, and I'm going to overcome and See victory. These kinds of songs, they're very, very surface level. And today, when we're in church and we're looking at, in a hymnal, uh, my spirit is moved. I'm just looking at like two lines, and I'm like, "Wow, that is so just—it's truth. Like you know what you're reading and singing. It's—it's it's the word of God. And I think it's really important that kids, you know, everything mm-hmm. is put into song form. To remember like yesterday okay i asked melanie well how many days are in may is it 30 or 31 because i was trying to plan you know their homeschool stuff like how much to do each day but um and then she's going through like the little song she learned to remember how many days and i was like oh i trust you because it's in song form you know what's true because it's in song form kids remember, people remember things when it's put into song. So if we're singing something and it's not scriptural, we're going to like believe it because it's catchy. It's in your mind. So I think like you can appreciate that there's at least surface level music. But the thing is, as you go along in your walk with the Lord, you should be singing more truthful songs. Like in your music, it should be showing.
1: Do you yeah, know what I mean? No, it
0: should. And but we also all sort of started from the same point. Like, I mean, if you try to take somebody who's secular, you know, completely worldly, and you're like, hey, come listen to this Christian music and it's the Trinity hymnal, they're gonna be like, No, Christian music is awful. And people still make fun of Christian music, right? But if you can get them listening. And that's how we were, right? Like, you start listening, and back then it was more like Cutlass and, um, yeah. you know, Hawk Nelson. And it was more like the music we'd kind of heard, but they're singing about Jesus, and you're like, okay, well, yeah, Christian music really isn't bad, you know? Right. So you start building this idea that, like, oh, you know, Christian music isn't bad. and But then you start getting deeper in your faith, and you start, you know, growing more, and you're like, okay, I don't really need to have, like, my emotion stirred by this you know, elevation worship music, I can sing more biblically truthful worship songs and feel good about it. And but you grew into that where like, again, our nine year old daughter, she's not there. I don't think, you know, so is this something where like, you're not listening to this at all, because I don't want you to go off into whatever this leads you into? Or you're like, hey, if this is where you start, you know, that's good because you're at least around God and you're at least acknowledging God in the lyrics. And maybe you can address it like, Hey, here's where he's kind of getting off or they didn't really get deep in this. Let's talk about it. So is it, I mean, again, I don't know. Um, but then that gets you into a whole nother set of issues when you talk about elevation worship and elevation church and all that sort of stuff. And I do just want to make a point because Nikki, She was breaking out in sweats talking about Elevation Worship when we were going through this and (laughs) led it in a completely different direction than I wanted. So I do just want to touch on this before. um,
2: Can I say one thing before you move on? Just about. Here we go. Well, no, about the music still. (laughs) So if we're letting our daughter continue listening to this style of music and she's used to it, she enjoys it. So when you introduce a different style of music, which has more truth to it, she's maybe, not she is, but most people, they're going to reject it because it's not as enjoyable. This is the thing with music, caught up in the the beat, the style, the emotions, the atmosphere it creates, because there is a psychology about it. And then you just go and read like a, you know, just a regular hymn, but the truth
0: well i think so that deep. is attached to your spiritual growth mm-hmm. because if if you are growing more spiritually which is our job if our kids aren't growing spiritually it's our job but if we are raising them to be more spiritual and more aware of god and you know devoted to him and all these sorts of things then i think they'll naturally get pulled into stuff that's deeper cuz i mean that's how i worked you know i mean i and I still do occasionally, I listen to Christian rap. I mean, I listen to it far, far less, but that's a lot of what got me into Christian music because I really liked rap music growing up. And so listening to things like Lecrae and and pulling out the little bit of truth where I was like, wow, that's a pretty deep line there that they stuffed into a rap song and just being okay with like, all right, well, I'm not hearing about sex and drugs and uh, promiscuity and all this. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not necessarily, every lyric is about God. And I understand that the rap, hip hop, you know, culture is pretty satanic. So you're kind of walking that fine line, but that is kind of what got me going. And now as I've gotten older, um, the music that I choose to listen to, and I still like rap music when I hear it come on, it still stirs something in me.
2: It's just your flesh,
0: but I understand (laughs) that I should be getting deeper with my worship to God. So at least as myself as an example, that hasn't been the case where like, as I've gotten deeper in my walk with God, I haven't just stayed where I was in music. I've also let my music yeah. listening get deeper. So
2: yeah, you can say, oh, my flesh doesn't enjoy the, the musical part of this, but my spirit is being fed so much more through these old hymns. Yeah. So it's really like people are trying to do both. They're trying to entertain their flesh and their spirit at the same time with these songs, but their flesh is actually getting more enjoyment out of it than their spirit is, um, growing through it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely think you have to be careful. Um, yeah, because it can go either way. And again, that's why we wanted to get your guys' input on it. Cause again, we don't claim to have, you know, every answer on this. We just know what we think.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it's good to, to discuss with each other. Like, because a lot of people choose churches based on the style of music. So music is always, it's it's elevated, elevation. Worship. Right, and that's
0: <laughs> obviously dangerous if you go to a church and you're like, well, music is really good. And, you know, if that's the only reason that you're really there or that's what keeps you coming back, then, yeah, that can be dangerous. Yeah. Um, you're just
2: calling it the worship experience, but it's really a concert.
0: And then the last... Uh, just a little bit that I wanted to touch on just for the elevation worship music part of this. Um, if I can find it in here, Uh, I don't know if I can find it, but I'll just, I have it pulled up, um, in my notes, but he says, um, the elevation worship is creating a record that's outside of the normal church music they've released in the past. And again, I've listened to the song lion that this, uh, this album's titled after, And again, it sounds much the same. You know, there's some soft biblical truth in there, you know, but it's pretty surface level and it's more, you know, designed to just sort of get a crowd excited. It doesn't sound like it's very deep um, theologically, but um, I just wanted to. And really, I watch, if you watch the video, me and Nikki both watched the video, the video creeps me out more than the song because they're like playing this music live. And first off, you know, you can feel how you feel about the way they're dressed. But to me, like when you, I feel like if you're a, a worship band and your goal is to point people to God and worship, then you shouldn't be dressed like any, you know, metal band That's out there singing music. Like if people look at you and they don't realize that you're even a Christian band and that's your whole goal, then I think you're probably off there because you're trying to be too worldly to draw in people. So that was kind of the first thing I noticed, just the way the band looked, but then just the people in the crowd and the way that they were acting, it didn't seem like there was any sort of reverence for God in the crowd, but it was just more like hype at the concert. Mm -hmm. And that made me feel an odd way. Um, but again, I'd like to hear from you guys, but my fear on elevation is that they're getting to the point where they're too big for Christian music, and mm-hmm. um, you know they may just get to the point where they move entirely into the secular space, And at that point, you fear for their souls. You may already fear, fear for their souls, and you probably have good reason to. Um, but there's been a lot of Christian bands in the past that have done this. I mentioned Hawk Nelson earlier and um, you know, Hawk Nelson was one that sort of went the started out in Christian music, became Christian stars, then moved into more secular music, and now they're disavowing God. And yeah, that there's seems to be sort of a standard.
2: Or you think you're, you know, it's supposed to be a Christian song, but you can listen like a worldly person can listen to it and be like, Oh, it's a it's a love song. It's about human relationship. When you can't tell the difference. Like yeah, it isn't and then the about Jesus anymore. Problem comes
0: too if you, especially with your children. So again, this could be another angle where, if they're liking this music, because if you like the music, you tend to like the band. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're an idol worshipping people where you start to idolize these people, and then you realize, oh, like he's an atheist now. Like he's not even a Christian. You know, we talked about this a year ago with the little Nas X. You know. Why you shouldn't let your kids listen to Old Town Road and stuff like mm. because they're thinking this Satan worshiper is cool. Like, so they're opening a door to that sort of danger in their life. So I don't know that elevation worship is going there. I would just say keep them in your prayers. Um, uh, that they don't go that route because mm-hmm. they are probably the biggest Christian band. I mean, their music on YouTube has tens of millions of downloads or listens. And mm-hmm. so just When I hear this where they're like, "Ah, we're going in a new direction, you're like, that's like one step away from like, yeah, we're kind of done with this Christian music nonsense. We're just going full on secular rock band. Yeah, I don't know.
2: I've only heard the one song from the new album. Yeah,
0: I don't know. (laughs) But then that's just scratching the surface of the problems with elevation worship. And that was kind of where Nikki started pulling her hair out as we were kind of going into talking about this. Because I was just going to talk about the music piece. And then she started like, because we own, I probably know a little, knew a little bit more about Stephen Furtick, the pastor of Elevation Church. Um, Nikki really didn't have any idea who I Stephen didn't, Furtick was.
2: I know his name. I know what he looks like. And I know he gets a lot of heat for his teaching because he's definitely like, you know, he, he's had a lot of word of faith preachers on stage with him. He's yeah. up that alley. He's, yeah, he's, he's grouped in with them. But I, I didn't know he was the lead pastor
0: of Well, this and apparently he's like the lead word. songwriter. He is. he's closely yeah. intertwined with Elevation he's Worship a songwriter writing yeah. their music. So he was, writes a lot of the music for Elevation Worship. So I didn't know that until I didn't we started know looking that. this up. But, yeah, and then that gets you in. You know, once you start opening the Stephen Furtick um, yeah. envelope, there's a whole host of things in there.
2: Um, yeah, I know. dumped a lot on Spencer last
0: well, night. Well, <laughs> you start looking in there, and I think one of those articles that we had, uh, it might even be in the Christian Post one. Um,
2: yeah, probably where it there talks was a link.
0: about him, Stephen Furtick, sort of praising his son. His 16-year-old son, who is a rapper. um, Worldly. Worldly. Yeah, singing about, you know, sex, drugs, murder. Uh, Yeah, right here. Let me pull this up. So this article even talks about Mm -hmm. they've, you know, found themselves in the center of of controversy. Um, They received criticism for praising their son's rap project in which he rapped about sex, money, and guns. (sighs) -hmm. And then you start looking, and, you know, they let their son, he does like announcements at the church, like he's part of the church, sort of like leadership in a sense. And he's this completely worldly rapper. Stephen Furtick, you know, his net worth is $50 million. He lives in a 16,000 square foot palace, basically. So then you start getting into the whole mega church pastor problem. And how do you deal with that? And how do you feel about that? And then obviously his teachings are, you know, that that word of faith, kind of that prosperity gospel in a sense. Just right? speak
2: your victory. Yeah. And
0: God wants the best for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, God's going to help you achieve your victory, all that sort of stuff. And I mean, you guess you understand why he would be a preacher of that sort. That's been his lifestyle. I mean, they yeah. said that he started Elevation Church in 2006. mm mm-hmm. That's at, probably 12. when
2: his son was born. be sixteen, right?
0: Yeah. So it started the t- same year. Basically, had a son. It, I think it said when we looked it up, he started with twelve or fourteen people, yep. and now they have twenty seven thousand in weekly attendance. Like that's just a rocket ship, and all the campuses. Church. Yeah, campuses like, all over the place. What so,
2: caused it to explode is maybe just like the worship, because he said their main um, what they wanted to be known for is a church that. Worships, which I find so strange because his son doesn't follow that example. And it's very odd that he's writing worship music, spending all this time invested in his church, but his son is gone astray. And he's him and his wife are praising his son for his accomplishments.
0: And, and I giving think that's him a platform. the damaging because it's not unusual for pastors' children to go astray, that's not unusual. But to have a parent basically applaud them in their waywardness is alarming.
2: Like, what does the youth pastor at Elevation Church think of that? He's like, I am trying, if so, if it's true, that maybe they're like, well, we're trying to raise these teens in godliness. And how much of an influence is their son having on the youth? Can you imagine having your youth, your kids going to church with Furtick's son yeah. So and idolizing him because of his name.
0: We'd love to hear what you guys think about. I'm sure everyone has an opinion on Furtick. Um,
2: But this alone disqualifies him as a pastor because in that article, I don't know which article it was. Maybe we can find it and link it, but
3: other pastors have reached
2: out to him in concern and saying, you need to get your house in order. You're like, if you can't even shepherd your own family and you're applauding your son's sinful lifestyle, how are you caring for the church? This is an example of how you're going to treat the church. You're not going to correct the church when they go astray. You're going to applaud them because they're successful in the world's eyes. Yeah, He's not a pastor. He doesn't love the flock. If he doesn't love his own son.
0: And that's where I would say the danger is, is because it's not, un, like I said, it's not unusual for pastors, kids to go astray. But it is unusual to applaud them applaud in it. that. Yeah. And I don't necessarily like blame that it's happened now, but you probably and this is why you don't want young men leading a church. They're not grown and established in their faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, if Stephen Furtick, I don't know what his actual age is now, but I think it's in their his 30s or late 30s, maybe he's not terribly old. So he started the church young, and then mm-hmm. it immediately exploded. Really And it blew up so fast. Like, how would he even have time to raise a son?
2: Exactly.
3: You're
0: going from 14 to 27,000 in 15 years. That's insane. Plus all these campuses. And then he's writing books and they're becoming wildly wealthy in the process, um, which is a whole nother problem when you have your lead pastor who's living in palaces worth $50 million. I mean, it all probably happened so fast. In, yeah, I mean this is this is almost like the Mark Driscoll, you know, yeah. mentality of like, yeah, I can't listen to somebody correct me if I have a bigger church, if I'm worth more money, that exactly. If I have a bigger platform, and if the
2: son is rapping about money, um, that's really bad. Like the pastor lives in a 16,000 foot mansion, and the well, son is he rapping he about talks money. About
0: God blessed him with this home. And you're like, man, that's a real bad message for people who God didn't choose to bless with a mansion, because a lot of people struggle. And God said, you know, Jesus says that, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are, you know, all these people. But you're like, but He blessed me with a with a palace, basically. And they're like,
2: but it doesn't matter. Why doesn't God
0: bless me with a palace? And you're like, well, yeah, but this is hard hard enough. You got to activate that faith.
2: So I don't. I know people preach like, well tithe and god will bless you and everybody thinks financially if you give money god's gonna give you maybe god will bless you and keep in keeping your family healthy in other ways
0: well and it not can't mean money that. it literally it can't mean that i mean this is the whole sometimes you just have to see what's happening in the world around you you can say like well if you tithe god will be faithful and he'll open the storehouses or the windows of the storehouses of heaven But if that was the case, then everyone who tithed would be wealthy. Right. They aren't. So it can't mean that. It can't be true. It has to mean, it may mean that for certain people, but it can't mean that 100% of the time. Well, rich
2: is what, well, Jesus said it's uh, easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So he's definitely set up very hard for his son to be saved, being brought up, just seeing his family. Grow in riches,
0: yeah, and that's a tough one too. And I've I've talked on this show before about how pastors being paid is a weird thing to me. It definitely makes me feel weird, especially when you're talking about a church of twenty seven thousand. You know, how do you actually pay that appropriately without being, you know, um, I guess reckless with your money as a church? Because there's a lot of other, I would imagine. Avenue or revenue streams for Stephen Furtick. He obviously he's written books. He writes yeah. music. He has a YouTube channel and stuff that all yeah. bring him in immense amounts of money. So you're like, yeah, he's worth fifty million dollars. But how much of that came from other avenues outside of being a pastor? But then is it still okay? Or yeah, it's a tough one. So again, I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on it because every time. I start talking about pastor and pastors and their money. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, yeah.
2: So anyway, the whole part with Elevation Worship is connected to this church. Well, he's the writer for a lot of their songs too. But we know many, many churches use their music and they pay to use their music. So now, when pastors are made aware of the situation with Stephen Furtick's son and how he's applauding his son's sinful lifestyle. Should they not be using their music anymore? Should they not be supporting this church? Because the, this pastor obviously needs to step down and get his house in order. Like his son's soul is at stake and he seems to be more concerned with whatever, whatever blessings come from this church. Like he's, it really just is heartbreaking. It really makes yeah. me sad. So
0: that's a good question too. Like, should churches sing their music knowing that they're, while there's, you know, they're supporting this church and the extravagant lifestyles. I would say no. all these sorts of things. And I know that there are churches now that are waking up to this and being like, we don't sing that music Well, The Bible anymore. tells
2: us to not associate or even eat with someone who calls himself a brother yet lives in unrepentant sin. He's yeah. been confronted by other pastors. And he hasn't taken their advice. So it's not like he's unaware of what the scriptures say.
0: I imagine any day now, Christianity Today is going to put together a 12-part podcast series about the damages of, no, they're not. They love Stephen Furtick. They're going to go after Mark Driscoll in the rise and fall of Mars Hill. They won't touch Stephen Furtick. Um, But we got to keep this thing moving. My God, we've talked a long time about this. But if you think (laughs) this topic got Nikki... Fired up. You have no idea about the next topic. Um, This next story uh, comes from the Christian world as well, but it comes from Christianity today. And if you want to read that headline, honey, without screaming,
2: (laughs) reimagining biblical womanhood.
0: Doesn't that sound straight from the mouth of the Antichrist? But who am I to say? Um, So, if you want to just read this first couple sentences or just that first sentence.
2: Okay. It says from patriarchal interpretations of scripture to contemporary incidents of church to abuse, Christian women often are treated as second class citizens in the church.
0: Boy, doesn't that sound like a can't miss event from Christianity today? So this is actually like a conference that they had put on. It says on March 11th, uh, Christianity Today, let me pull it up, convened author and ministry leaders, Kate Armis, Beth Allison Barr, Amanda Beckinson, Nicole Martin, and Joyce Delrymple for a lively discussion on women's roles in the church from the perspective of history, theology, and practical ministry. Um. So Mm -hmm. among the speakers that were there, uh, oh, and we're just going to touch on this um, because I think the way we're going to work this is we're going to use this. We're going to take a break from the deadly sins next week, and we're going to talk about biblical womanhood um, because Nikki was punching a hole in my computer screen monitor reading through this article. He's
2: always exaggerating Um, about me.
0: (laughs) So she was so angry about it. We decided... We better make this a separate talk. So we just want to point out a few things about this article. We're already running long in this episode, and then we're going to move on because we have another news article to talk about. Um, But among the speakers that were at this conference um, was Kate Aramis, who on her own website says her first book, I think it's Abulita Faith. Mm -hmm. What women on the margins teach us about wisdom, persistence, and strength. It sits at the intersection of women, Decolonialism, the Bible, and Cuban identity. And whenever you think of biblical womanhood, I always consider its relationship to Cuban identity and colonial decolonialism. But then again, she wasn't the only speaker there. Beth Allison Barr was there, and she's the author of the best selling book, which is great The Making of Biblical Womanhood How Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. So if you wonder why we consider Christianity today to be a progressive Christian outlet, this is why. Because these are the women they promote in their talks on biblical Mm -hmm. womanhood. Um, Also, there was pastors Joyce Dalrymple and Amanda Beckinson. So that's fantastic.
2: Yeah. So just, I had a hard time. I didn't read the entire article, like, because it's a convention.
0: And that's why we're pausing on this until next week, because we didn't read the entire thing. So we don't want to speak authoritatively on it without reading and digesting everything.
2: It's just the first things that are brought up. Um, uh, So they introduce the women. And it's just what, well, I guess they do this in any, on any show, not just in Christian circles. People are first um, introduced for their titles, their degrees, all that, the, their worldly accomplishments, even in um, the Christian realm or ministry. And then at the end of introducing them, um, they're a wife and they have children. That's just tagged on at the end. So I thought that was kind of funny because it's about biblical womanhood. So they're first known for their accomplishments.
0: Yeah, like they almost say like...
2: They have nothing to do with being a wife and having children. The reason why
0: we're having these women on is because they're highly qualified from their degrees and their pastoral yes. positions. Oh, but they're also a mom and a wife.
2: Yeah.
3: When
0: really in a Christian biblical womanhood, that should be your leading... Yes. Boy. She's been a faithful mother for for 25 years to 10 children and you know the faithful, supportive wife of a husband for... That should be your qualification because that's the qualification. But this is how our
2: world thinks just with anything that's important. They're like, well, I'm not going to listen to you. You don't have a title or I'm going to listen to this doctor over here. He's studied it. He's it's titles. It's titles. It's it's not real life. You can't. People don't want to learn from the nobody whose name isn't in the spotlight on anything. They're Like, who
0: should we teach on biblical womanhood? We have Susie who's been faithfully married for 30 years and has raised 10 godly children. Or we have Joyce, who has one six-month-old child, but a master's degree in theology. They're like, let's go to Joyce. Great. (laughs) Great. That's who we should hear from. So
2: I guess Christianity today just only sees these women worthy of the spotlight. So these women who seem, I don't know, maybe I feel like I get the feeling they're too busy doing conferences, writing books, speaking at, you know, speaking at churches and stuff. And that that's that's their ministry. Like they're too right. busy for the ministry at home. So I don't want to get into all, there was so many notes that I wrote. I'm going to save them for next time. But one of the things, I think it was,
1: I think it was Nicole. Maybe.
2: Um, one of the things she said really... Bugged me, and this has been the main theme of what these women are talking about is their their calling. And they're talking about the ministry outside the home. So she says, Yes, I make mistakes, but God made my children for ministry, just like He made me for ministry. And they grow from me being obedient in my calling. And I just, there's just so much to to say about that statement. They're like, You're calling. First and foremost, and the way your children are going to grow best is by you being home and raising them. It's just crazy. Women don't see that as a ministry, as a calling. They're like, no, they're going to grow because they see me going out here and making a name for myself and helping everybody else. And this right here, this line right here makes me think of Stephen Furtick. Like this is the way he thinks. And look at where his son is.
0: And I think that's why it's so damaging to have a conference like this with all these women, because there's nothing wrong with a woman writing a book on Christianity or having a woman's ministry or something like that. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you put these women on a pedestal and go, this is what biblical womanhood looks like, then all the women who don't have books and master's degrees and they're not leading churches and all these sorts of things, they go, oh, I guess I'm not being obedient to my call in ministry. I'm just raising a family. Yeah. I'm just supporting my husband and I'm just taking care of the household. Boy, I guess I'm not. And I think that's the problem when you put, because you're distorting biblical womanhood. Yes. That's you're why they're calling it
2: reimagining. Yeah, yeah you and are reimagining. Every time you it. talk
0: about reimagining something biblical, you should, your ears should perk up and you should be on the defensive. Yeah. Reimagining, you know a new take or you know anything like that, you should be like, ooh, this is about to get way off track. Um, because mm-hmm. the Bible, there ain't been no New Testaments written. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's been the same for thousands of years, right? So if you're reimagining it, it means you're probably twisting it. Yep. And that from the little bit that we've read, because I had to pull Nikki away um to save my computer screen, uh, the little bit that we saw, we were like, oh good heavens, this is not good. Uh, this is just more And it's a shame that Christianity today is sort of like the beacon of Christian news in this country because you know they they love to promote the Stephen Furtick's the the biblical womanhood ministries and
2: I don't know and I haven't no we haven't read the rest of this article but I can't imagine they have these women on here to encourage other women to be humble and see the home life as the highest calling. It's the humble calling. It's serving others. You're laying your life down for the betterment of the whole home, for your children's sake, for your husband's sake. And you don't care to make a name for yourself and to write books for other people because your family comes first. And then these women, some of them are pastors. It's just people use the church to make a name for themselves. They are the ones abusing the church. The women are not the ones being dismissed and abused in the church, which was another thing one of the women said. And I'm like,
0: oh, it was definitely you've been dismissed justice.
2: in the church. What are you doing to your family right now? Do, don't they feel dismissed? It was definitely she, had a very you're social gone all the time? justice uh, <laughs>
0: feel
2: yes, to it when we were definitely. reading through it, a
0: very oppressed womanhood sort of feel to it. So we're definitely going to talk about this more next week. Um, did not like it's the way feminism. the conference was going. Yeah, it's <laughs> feminism infecting the church.
2: It is, definitely. And
0: I think it's dangerous. So that's why we want to talk about it. So we'll take a break from that, um, from the deadly sins next week, and dive into biblical womanhood. Um, but just to kind of keep the scene moving, because we've already been running very long. Um, but this last article does come from Christianity Today as well. And it struck a chord with me, very near and dear to my heart. Um, The headline is, Do Russian Christians Need More Bonhoeffers? And do you want to read these first two?
2: Yeah. The first cleric has fallen to Russia's new law. Um, How do you say that name?
0: Uh, I don't know. Um, Johan Burden? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know.
2: Okay. Of Resurrection Church in
0: Kostroma.
2: Kostroma. Uh, 215 miles northwest of moscow was arrested for discrediting the russian armed forces in his sunday sermon and
0: and then yeah just the his, next to- oh yeah
2: his parish also allegedly shared an anti-war petition we christians cannot stand idly by when a brother kills brother a christian kills a christian the statement said as reported by the bbc's russian service Let's not repeat the crimes of those who hailed Hitler's deeds on September 1st, 1939.
0: Before Steny Hoyer was born, or after Steny Hoyer was born, sorry. Just tying that back to our first article there. 1939. But yeah, so this pastor who has been locked up now, um, I believe, and he's seeing hints of Germany going on in Russia, especially with these laws that are being passed. And this article hit me. And if you're new to the show here, you may not necessarily be quite aware, Um, but we'll just reiterate it here. The name of this show, Religionless Christianity, is inspired by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, He coined that term in a letter from prison, sort of with the idea, at least as far as I understood it, sort of being how do you live a Christian life in a secular world? And he's quickly become one of my favorite men of faith. And looking at this article, I do believe. Russia needs more Bonhoeffers, um, but they're Mm -hmm. not the only one. I believe we all need to be Bonhoeffers, or we all need more Bonhoeffers in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. Because the article goes on to say um, that Christianity Today had previously reported the frustration of Ukrainian Christian leaders that their Russian counterparts should be more like Bonhoeffer, is something that they reported. and. so why do we want them to be more like Bonhoeffer, right? What's the point? What's who's Bonhoeffer, right? Why do we need more Bonhoeffers? Um, why do we want more Christian leaders in our country and around the world to be like Bonhoeffer? And I think it's because Bonhoeffer was a man of action. And mm-hmm. you know, I think for most of us or at least me and Nikki you not well I guess it'll just me necessarily I'll speak for myself. I'm tired of inaction. I'm tired of my own inaction. It makes Mm. me angry when I'm inactive. You know, this world and our country especially seems to be in the fast lane, moving towards hell, and our leaders are doing nothing but just smashing on the accelerator. And we have, or we seem to have so few men that are actually willing to take action to put a stop to it. Um, There's a line in Eric Metaxas's biography on Bonhoeffer, and I don't know which letter it's from. But Bonhoeffer wrote that he would personally kill Adolf Hitler if he was given the chance. How many Christians would make that claim? Um, He was actively, Bonhoeffer was actively engaged in plots to assassinate Hitler. Um, And not that I'm in any way thinking that we have pastors that need to take that level of action in this country. I don't think that in any way. Let me make that clear. I don't need anybody killing (laughs) our president. Um, But. Why aren't there more pastors taking a stand, at least as far as a John MacArthur? You know, he seems to be one of the only big time pastors. Where's Stephen Furtick, right? You got a massive church. Where are you speaking out on this? You
2: can pay for lawyers and everything to stand against.
0: Yeah. So like, why aren't they pushing back on the ungodliness coming from every seat of power in this country, let alone in Ukraine and Russia? Um, So... We need more Christian leaders to be Bonhoeffers, but we all need to be a Bonhoeffer. Um, The time for sitting around and sort of wishing that someone else would solve the problem or stand for righteousness, that's gone away with. Like, the time is for all of us to stand. Um, So you got to be the one to stand in your circle. You know, Bonhoeffer Mm -hmm. obviously took his faith to the extreme, and he paid an extreme price for it. You know, he died at the end of a noose in a Nazi prison camp. And the world might say that Bonhoeffer lost. You know, he failed in his mission. He didn't kill Hitler, and he died in a prison camp. I think he won. I think his faith held strong, and he proved um, mm. that you can be a man of action, even in the sinful world. And, you know, I just, I read the story, I read about Bonhoeffer, and I pray that my faith would be that strong someday.
2: I know. When you see the people that go before you, like even when Paul was writing letters to the churches and how it worked out for better like him being locked up emboldened others to all the more preach the gospel actually yeah because they're like if he's in there and he's okay and the spirit is strengthening him and the gospel is actually being preached in the prison too it's being known why he's locked up it emboldened them so when we stand it emboldens others even if we're persecuted and if we die for it it all the more emboldens people. It doesn't make them more fearful. They're just seeing, look at changes happening. Although they died in the process, we see that it made a difference. There's light at the end of this.
0: No, again. And that's why, you know, you're you take an eternal view.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He he lost in a sense. He died.
2: Yeah, we're Um, all gonna die. We have to look at our lives are so short and why? Why hold on to this life? And and not care about the generation after you. Like you great, the greatest love is to lay down your life for others. Why I don't would know you how not
0: frequently that gets preached anymore though? Like but I feel like it that's that applies to this oh, so much. Does.
2: Lay your life down. Lay down all your dreams. Like nobody's laying their life down for the betterment of the next generation. They're gonna have it worse because we loved our lives too much.
0: Oh yeah, we've become such a selfish um self-seeking, self-gratifying society. I mean, we'd sell our kids down the river for any for pay my <laughs> pay my school tuition, you know, for I've got a bunch of college debt. Why don't you pay that for me? And my kids can deal with the ramifications. Um, I know. Yeah, it's awful. So the article goes on to say um hundreds have spoken out. Um, uh, but then it says, is it fair to ask them to do so? Because Russia's new law passed in March 4th provides penalties up to 15 years in prison for simply calling Vladimir Putin's special military operations a war. Um, And then just going down through here. So the way that this article worked is they interviewed um, Christian pastors from basically Eastern Europe or European countries. So you see like the Italian evangelical alliance, Swiss Evangelical Alliance and stuff. Um, So I just pulled a couple of quotes from these pastors out that I thought were interesting. So down here, this Leonardo de Chirico, he says, loyalty to our nations is good, although it can become an idol. Uh, Yeah, talk about that in America. But loyalty to God and his global church takes precedence. I hope and pray that believers across the nations involved will show that their unity in Christ is stronger than their national allegiances. Mm-hmm. Um, I 100% agree with that. And again, talking about loyalty to nation becoming an idol,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, patriotism in this country has, it's not wrong. Let me make that clear. I don't think it's wrong to be patriotic and love this nation. But I do think for a lot of people, it crosses the bounds of, um, like that's sort of becomes, you know, like who they are. That becomes like an yeah, identity, identity for them, yeah. like super patriotic, most American. And I think that definitely can become an idol. And yeah, we should have more unity in Christ, regardless of the nation the person's in, than unity in, you know, our nation, Yeah, regardless of, you know, religious affiliation or anything like that. So I thought that was a really good statement. Um, I had a couple other ones, if I can find them.
1: Yeah, this one right here from...
0: So they ask, what level of threat is necessary before a Christian is compelled to do something against evil? And now we're obviously getting into the Bonhoeffer territory here. Um, And this De DeChirico, again, says, the less personal and immediate the level of threat, the more difficult it is to be motivated against Mm -hmm. it. If we are talking about systemic evil, some people did not even recognize it, let alone speak against it. And I thought, boy, does this speak on America? I mean, this guy, he must live in America. I don't know. Like, because we're right to worry about Ukraine and Russia, right? Definitely. But we're dealing with systemic evil in America. Mm-hmm. Um, yet so few are willing to do or say anything about it. You know, we spend all of our time in our, Antichrist politicians and Antichrist media class have done a wonderful job of convincing us that there's these made up, you know, systemic racism, you know, there's uh, systemic sexism, essentially, you know, all while overlooking and distracting us from the fact that the real problem is systemic evil yeah. um, is being fostered in this nation and in this hemisphere. I mean, if we look at Canada, systemic evil is being fostered there you know, the role of manhood and strong biblical male leadership or headship is being undermined. If we look at Christianity today in their conference, right, it's being undermined at every turn. Mm -hmm. And all we want to do is like, wave the flag for Ukraine and, you know, ask Russian Christians to stand up like, no, there is systemic evil being birthed in this nation right now. And we aren't doing anything about it. And we're, the problem is, is you're going to have to face it. Eventually you're going to have to stand against the evil eventually. So are you going to wait until you're in Bonhoeffer's shoes and the cost of standing against it is being hung from a noose, or are you going to stand against it now where the cost is they take you to court? Like they right, did with MacArthur. Right. Cause you got to fight it eventually. So the question is, when are you going to fight? And my hope is we stand and fight today. Don't push yeah. it off to tomorrow and don't sit there and expect Boy, I wish Russian Christians would do something. No, we do something. Because if our nation was right, and we were morally sound, and we were um, in right alignment with God, we would act accordingly. And Russia wouldn't be acting the way they are today. But instead, we're godless, weak, and pathetic. So the antichrist and the strong feels emboldened to go and do whatever they please. Because the strong, godly man is nowhere to be found. So if you want to know what's wrong with the world, look ourselves in the eye or in the mirror, yeah. you know, our weak satanic leadership is the problem. They're emboldening all these other people. Um, so this article was really good to read what these pastors in the, um, in the European countries were saying. So again, all this stuff will be leaked, but we have been running really long and we haven't even gotten to our Bible topic yet. Um, and we got a good topic. So <laughs> we're going to move along from there. Go check these articles out. This Bonhoeffer article is going to tie directly into our sermon recommendation, which was an absolute jaw-dropping <laughs> listen um, from Bonhoeffer. So our Bible topic today, though, does have to do with one of the seven deadly sins, and this is sin number four, just in order of how we pulled them up, and that is wrath, or as we're more common, I guess more common to us is anger. Um, that's the mm-hmm. sin that we're going to look at. So we do want to just touch on why is wrath a sin? And I think it's a sin for a lot of reasons. Uh, we know that Jesus in Matthew 5, you know, he tells us that um, if you're angry with your brother, you will be liable for judgment. Um, so he tells us basically that it's the same as murder, right? And they'll both mm-hmm. be subject to murder, to judgment. So if you tie that to murder, then we see anger or wrath is essentially breaking the sixth of the Ten Commandments. Um, And then I would say anger or wrath is a sin also because it seeks to exact vengeance Mm -hmm. yourself rather than waiting on God to exact vengeance. Mm -hmm. Um, It looks to put you in place of the judge. Um, And we know that in Deuteronomy 32, I have this pulled up, God tells us that vengeance is his. You know, vengeance is for God, not for us. Um, Paul in Romans tells us, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Um, Mm. So, wrath again, yeah, it's a sin because it's seeking to place yourself in God's judgment seat, I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, it goes on to say, overcoming evil with good. You know, instead of lashing out in wrath, your yeah. enemy's hungry, feed him, he's thirsty, give him a drink. Like we're not supposed to yeah, punish them. We're supposed to be a blessing to them.
0: No, we should. Um, so yeah, I think we just want to make clear why we think wrath is a sin. Um, so what is wrath? You know, looking at our Bible Hub Dictionary, um, it says that wrath is violent anger Vehement exasperation, indignation, rage, or fury. And then uh, I got this from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It says, Wrath, when used of man, is the exhibition of an enraged, sinful nature and is therefore always inexcusable. And I think it's important to make that distinction when it's used of man, because the Bible speaks often of God's holy or like righteous wrath. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem that so many non-believers have is you'll hear people, well, God, you know, wiped out a whole group of people here, Mm -hmm. or he sent the Israelites to go kill all these people here, you know, and they equate sort of our human understanding of wrath and vengeance and warfare. And they just tie that. Well, if this is the way ours is, then God's must be the same way. And it's not, God has holy wrath. He has righteous wrath and when he acts, it is in righteousness. So, you have to be, I think, smartly um, understand the difference between human wrath and godly wrath. That's a so good point. I think it's a good point to point out there. Um, but just looking at wrath, you know, because the deadly sins, right? We've talked about this before. It's not written down anywhere. It doesn't say here are the seven deadly sins. You know, in Galatians, right? So you have to pull them from different places, and we see wrath spoken about all throughout the Bible, yeah. um, or anger is a different word used for much the same thing. Um, in Luke four twenty-eight, 28, um, one of the places that jumped out to me that I thought was really interesting, it says, speaking of Jesus and the Pharisees and stuff in the temple, it says, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. So like, what led them to want to seek to crucify and kill jesus essentially they were stirred up with wrath like this mm-hmm. anger to the point of fury and indignation uh, i thought that was really interesting
2: yeah kind of like the envy like they envied that the people were praising him and but envy is like hate toward the other person which leads to wrath
0: yeah we yeah. actually read that in or we'll read that later um, but yeah they they're envious and almost that envy leads them to anger Mm -hmm. that Jesus is able to stir up these crowds and stuff. And, um, the apostle Paul in
1: (laughs) what is this? I think I, yeah, the apostle Paul, I believe in, what is this? I don't have it pulled up here,
0: but he tells us that, um, Oh, in Galatians, I'm sorry. Galatians is like five, Galatians five. um, He tells us that fits of anger are of the flesh and that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom. So that fit of anger can lead you to be, um, I guess, excluded from the kingdom of God. Uh, The psalmist says in Psalm 37, verse seven and eight, um, he instructs us to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Mm -hmm. him. Do not fret when men prosper in their ways and when they carry out wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and abandon wrath. Do not fret. It can only bring harm. Um, Again, more verses. The Apostle Paul teaches us in Ephesians, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Um, So he ties, yeah, I mean, that Mm -hmm. wrath and anger in with slander, malice. Um, James just going down the list here, right? We see uh, that the wrath or the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So again, it can lead you astray. Mm. So wrath is spoken about extensively. I'm sure that there's many more verses that we didn't even pull up here that you could probably dive into. Well,
2: when you take matters into your own hands, you're not forgiving someone who sins against you. So you're causing yourself to to be damned, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're not walking in love. You're not treating them the way they want to be treated. All the commandments that Christ has given us, I think wrath just yeah. overrides your those.
2: you going and taking matters into your own hands is doing the opposite of forgiving them. And if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you.
0: Yeah. I mean, so definitely, I think it's, I mean, it's pretty clear cut. and I'm, I'm assuming most Christians would understand you should not be acting um, in wrath or in anger in any mm-hmm. sort. Um, but how do we see wrath today? Right. I mean, I think that's important. And I think this might be one of the most readily like identifiable of the deadly sins that we see in our world today. Because um, we see wrath and anger everywhere, you know, especially if we look at it in light of that definition that we gave earlier, sort of that indignation, the rage and the fury. Because um, I think we see this everywhere. And in my opinion, this is sort of the desired state of our Antichrist leaders. You know, the spirit of the age is hoping for us to be in a state of wrath and anger because it's impossible to walk in love and mm-hmm. treat others the way you want to be treated if you're constantly like fuming and seething with anger inside.
2: That's what you see on social media. It's just a bunch of people filled with wrath.
0: No, and I uh-huh. don't believe that that's unintentional. I know. I, I agree with you. I believe that that's intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, as we'll see in our sermon recommendation, it will open your eyes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from our antichrist leaders, like there's that divide and conquer strategy, you mm-hmm. know, our leaders plot and devise ways to make us be in sort of constant states of anger. Um, and then again, they find sort of their, are sil- Satan's children counterparts, you know, in academia, Hollywood, Silicon Valley, you know, anywhere else that they can. And they sort of fan those flames of drummed up outrage just to keep us in a constant state of anger, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Oh, we just elected our first black president. Let's push the whole country back into racial division and racial strife. You're like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Um, it should have been a healing, uh, endeavor, you know, Mm -hmm. let's divide men and women over fake issues on sexism and patriarchy as Christianity today is doing. Um, let's put our right. hate and anger mobs against parents and athletes that don't think men should be competing in women's athletics, you know, just because they feel like girls. Like, there are all of these drummed up issues to drive hate and anger. It's like, um, doesn't
2: wrath just cause you to be confused too? It's like a, a blind rage, and you do things that you don't even know why you did them. It's like these things are coupled together, like the wrath and the confusion.
0: Yeah. It's like that, you know, the. The cartoon right where you see red and like you just can't even focus anymore and it's just you've got to satisfy that anger and that wrath inside of you as if it's going to somehow bring you peace and it never does because it just ruins things um but yeah you have yes you're confused you have to satisfy this
3: yeah
0: um so that's why it's important to know how to how to counteract it how to fight against wrath um and as with all of these seven deadly sins they have a countering virtue. Um, and the countering virtue to wrath that we're told is patience.
3: Mm-hmm. And when
0: we first saw this, we were like, "That doesn't make a lot of sense." Uh, but I think it does. I think it fits perfectly, you know, because um, there's plenty of proverbs and different instruction mm-hmm. in the Bible that tells us to be patient. You know, Proverbs sixteen thirty two. It says, "Whoever is anger or whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty." He who rules his spirit than he who takes a city." Um, Proverbs 14:29 says, "Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly." Um, again, that mm-hmm. psalm earlier with uh, Psalm
1: 37:38. Let me see if I can find it.
0: "Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him." You know, if you want to avoid anger, refrain from anger, then wait patiently on the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, Exodus 14, 14 tells us the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. patient, sit silently, right? Wait for the Lord. Um, so patience works against our uh, wrath because wrath is basically an emotion, really. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think generally that's how wrath gets stirred up. Well, is it's an like emotional stirring.
2: Too. Just how dare you?
0: Yeah, you get offended. You know who I am. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a female pastor, speaker, writer. Don't how dare you. Um, But yeah, so it gets stirred up, and that causes you to act out in this anger or this wrath. And you know, so often in Scripture, wrath is sort of likened to a quick temper or being quick Mm -hmm. to anger. You know, something happens, someone says something, and we just react. Um, But patience, on the other hand, it's a fruit of the spirit, you know. Paul tells us in Galatians five twenty two that patience is one of the fruits of the spirit. So, with that being a fruit of the spirit, patience doesn't come quickly or it doesn't come naturally. I'm sorry to us, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's people yeah. that are born of sin, anger and wrath come naturally. That's the natural human condition is to be angry and full of wrath.
2: It's just funny because you're just if you have wrath, it's like your flesh is offended, so you're just trying to defend your your flesh that's easily wounded.
1: Basically, yeah. I mean,
0: because with all of these deadly sins, right, pride is sort of that underlying sin that feeds all of them. So, yeah, I mean, if sinners that are born of pride and self-righteousness, yeah, we're offended and our flesh is offended, um, that leads us to quickly react in anger, basically, mm-hmm. I think, a lot of the times. and
2: Yeah. It just shows how weak our flesh is. Like, that's a good picture to say. Like, if you're easily hurt and wounded, that just fits perfectly with our flesh is weak. Oh, yes. Our flesh is so weak because, I mean, how easily offended we are. And we can't even simply follow, like, one command of God a day. Like,
1: No,
0: we probably (laughs) blow this a thousand times a day. Um, Because, again, I don't think that this ever leaves us, you know. as human beings, you know, you're never free from wrath and anger. Now with the working of the Holy Spirit, we can learn to sort of take that deep breath, um, sort of learn to call out in gods of moment. Yeah, um, you know, self-control
2: is the fruit of the spirit, right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you never really necessarily overcome it, but you learn these virtues that can counteract it, right? You have that anger stirred up in you. That never leaves you.
2: No, you constantly need the Holy Spirit your whole walk. You can't overcome it in the flesh, but you overcome because he's ruling you and causing you to overcome. So the glory isn't in yourself overcoming, because if you've overcome it, it's God in you that has won the victory. Those are the kind of victories they need to be singing about.
0: (laughs) No, yeah, it's 100%. It should be, and you know, that fruit of the spirit, that patience, um, it's so important because it gives you time to remember, like you said, that we ought to be humble. Um, you know, cause that, if you remember your humility, then you're less likely to take offense, right? You're like, yeah, yeah I am. Who dust. am I? I'm, I'm nobody. Who am I that someone should care for me, <laughs> you know, or think kindly of me. I'm a nobody. Um, or I'm a sinner just like them. And I probably don't deserve, any kindness from right you can't
2: think so low of yourself that you see others that way too like you're supposed to think of others as higher than yourself so yeah i don't know we're made in the image of god we're not nothing we're not so don't take us the wrong way saying that just a humble mindset of yourself
0: yeah a humble mindset and i think you know if wrath is one of the most visible Of the deadly sins that we see today i would say patience is one of the least visible fruits of the spirit that we see today um i don't think we see this you know we live in a fast food social media like instant gratification society Mm -hmm. um and again i believe that's intentional i don't think it's done you know if you believe that satan is the god of this world as paul taught us uh, I believe yeah. that it's all on purpose that we live this way.
2: You get it when you want it, and you want it now. You know, like toddler in the store <laughs> wants that toy right now.
0: Yeah, or, and I mean, just like the stores yeah. are sort of designed to give you that sort of desire, or I mean, the stores are—they have psychologists and stuff that design the way a store is laid out because they know how it's going to stir you up and what you're going to be prone to buy. Well, that's and, what
2: credit cards are for. You can have it now.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and I think our your world way. is just. too wicked for it to be an accident. Exactly. It's too wicked to be an accident. It's intentionally wicked. And it's moving us to a place as a people, you know, everything is right now. Mm -hmm. And again, that patience, I believe it's on purpose. You know, we react before we allow God time to work on our behalf. And then we sit around and wonder why things are going poorly. You know, we cry out like, where are you God? You know, but we never actually give him time to move when he's ready you know, mm. because we're an instant gratification society. So I think if we can learn to be patient, sort of learn to take our angry emotions, which are never going to leave us to God and give him sort of time to cool us off, allow his spirit to move in us, um, give us that wisdom to react in a way that's glorifying to him, mm-hmm. that builds our relationships rather than destroying them. I think our relationship with God would be stronger. Our Personal relationships would be stronger. We'd be a blessing to those around us. You know, we'd largely be a healing influence rather than a damaging influence, I think, in this world. If Mm -hmm. we could overcome that quick temper, that quick anger, and replace it with some patience. And like Exodus tells us to sort of sit silently waiting on the Lord.
3: Mm. So,
0: I think that's an important thing to think about, to pray about, is having more patience, because I don't think we have enough of it. Um, No,
2: the patience, we don't even have, people today, even in in the church, don't have patience to sit through a sermon. That's why more than half the sermon's got to be entertainment.
0: Yeah, I mean, just like supermarkets are sort of set up in a certain way, like the same people work and decide how a church is best to flow, to keep people engaged and Mm -hmm. keep them coming back. Like... There's a reason why every church you walk into essentially looks and feels exactly the same. You're like, oh, okay, we're gonna sing songs for twenty to thirty minutes, we're gonna do some um announcements and then we're gonna ro- roll right into the service and like And the pastor's
2: know? always apologizing. Uh, oh, the sermon's going really long. Sorry, guys. Like
0: Yeah, I'm gonna wrap well, that's it up. That's why, here in a why
2: we're here. Like Yeah. Cut the worship concert out. So we have more time to hear. You can't
0: get rid of elevation worship in your church. People (laughs) will leave. Um, But the last point that I want to address before we move on to our sermon recommendation, because it comes up pretty much anytime you talk about anger, people will say, "Oh, well, Jesus got angry, right? You know, I can get angry. Jesus got angry. And I think, you know, the whole Jesus got angry, I think it's a misconception um, because usually it's sort of used to, justify anger Mm -hmm. you know oh well jesus got angry but it was righteous anger so there's a thing called righteous anger and somehow you think you're acting righteously in your anger um but i so i just want to look at that verse there because yes jesus does get angry right that's what we can make out from matthew 21 12 right that's the uh the famous jesus goes into the temple and drives out those who are selling the, the money mm-hmm. changers in the temple. Um, so I just wanted to go back and just sort of read this whole section here because I think it's misinterpreted a lot. So it says here, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold. Or This is Matthew 21, 12 through 16 Yes, have you never read, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared my praise? You know, so we read this, and we're like, ah, Jesus had this righteous anger. But his anger appears to not have been violent or, you know, um, sort of like disgusting the way that our anger is. It didn't even drive people Mm. away. Like, he goes and drives the money changers out. And the sick and the lame are still right there. And as soon as he's done, they're like, yeah, can you, uh, can you heal me, Lord? The children didn't leave.
2: They weren't crying, like scared. <laughs>
0: yeah, like he didn't drive the children. And not only did he not drive them away, they stood there and continued to sing his praises. So I think that this idea mm. of his righteous anger somehow mimicking what our anger looks like is a huge misconception. The
2: other people standing by can see that it's a righteous anger. Because you have people correcting you and be like, you didn't need to get angry and act that way. Then, yeah, yeah like, don't compare yourself to Jesus. If you and your
0: wife are arguing and screaming in the house, do your kids walk up right away and they're like, hey, Dad, can I have ice cream? Or do they feel like, good, now is not a good time to go talk to Dad? Because that's not what they thought about anything. Jesus. Yeah. He gets angry and they're like, yeah, now seems like a good time to go get ask some healing. For, <laughs> I know. right? Because <laughs> apparently it was not that violent, like ugly anger that we normally um show when we're angry. So I think it's a misconception. Yeah, it appears that he got righteously angry, but don't confuse that with our anger today because ours is so rarely <laughs> righteous um if it ever exists at all.
2: He didn't even do anything that was it wasn't wrath. He was just he didn't hurt anybody. He was just like get out of here. Yeah. Cuz you're here for the wrong reasons.
0: Yeah, so I just I want to make that point because I think you always hear it and it's always sort of like a justification for my anger. Well, Jesus got angry. Yeah, settle down, dude. You're not Jesus. And it was
2: for the house of God. Really. Yeah. He was zealous for God's house, so
0: And then we'll just last end the or end talking about wrath, because Paul reminds us in Ephesians four twenty-six.
1: Um he says uh, be angry
0: and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger so mm.
3: um
0: it's okay to be angry we're all going to feel anger um but that's again why you have that patience that'll prevent you from sinning um and then you can take that to god and hopefully not go to sleep not let it stew not sort of give a, the devil a foothold in your life if you will um so i think that's important to mention so before we roll into sermon recommendations, is there anything you would like to say?
2: I just want to say we bring up all these things, um, you know, not just to be critical, but it's to protect the church. Um, with the articles we brought up earlier, um, we don't want, you know, we're not like jealous of someone's success, of Ferdic's success, of these women on Christianity today. It's just that people look up to them. And they believe their words, and they believe every word that comes out of their mouth, and don't test it um, against Scripture like what what we are doing. This is this is just because we care about the church, and we don't want everybody following along. Um, it's very the world is infiltrated the church, infiltrated uh, pastors. This is how you take down. A nation or a family, the head, whoever's leading, gets taken down and then everything crumbles with it.
0: Yeah, and that's why we want to warn on this, you know, that sort of American dream infecting the church. Yeah. um, Because they're not the same thing. And again, yeah, like she said, we don't despise Stephen Furtick or Elevation Worship or these women we just want to caution the church, you know, to stay biblical as best we understand it. And again, that's why we want to hear from you guys if we're off base, but, um, to not sort of chase worldly success and intertwine that with your spirituality and think that they're the same thing. Um, and then lead others into thinking that those are the same thing because it's dangerous and it can cause a lot of division where, well, I'm not successful, you know, I'm not the pastor of a big church. So Maybe God isn't blessing me, you know, and all these sorts of things, and it's dangerous. So
2: it's okay if you are, you're like me, and you clean and cook and you teach your kids, and you feel like, oh, that's not enough. I'm not writing books. I don't. My name's not known. Like, don't be fooled into thinking there's a higher ministry, a higher calling than
0: that. And don't be tricked into thinking that somehow it's oppressive or abusive. Yeah. To follow God's best design for you as a woman or mm-hmm. that it's, you know, if you're called as a man to be a leader of a family, not shirk that responsibility, you know, and think, well, my wife makes good money. So I'll because that was one of my big questions and we'll just. And talk about this before we get into the sermon recommendation, these women that are pastors of churches and stuff, if the man is supposed to be the head of the household, the leader in the house. Um, the leader spiritually for the family, how are you married to a female pastor who leads a church and shepherds a flock, but somehow turns that off when you come home?
2: How do you submit to your I just find that
0: unlikely.
2: Yeah, it's very twisted.
0: So it's just weird. I don't think it's good for marriage. And I think it's bad on the men's part. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it's not to say that women shouldn't have a voice in the church and lead ministry and be important. Of course they are. And we see that all throughout the Bible but we also see roles defined in the Bible. Um, So it's not good to just upturn those roles and be like, "Eh, I don't like them. And they don't fit 2022 society in America. Well, it doesn't make 2022 society in America right and the Bible wrong. Right. So, um, and we'll end here on our sermon recommendation. And please, please, please go give this a listen. It's only like five, six minutes long. And if you want to understand what is going on in our world, man, I think nothing that I've listened to recently explained it better than this. And this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity. And it's something that he wrote, I think it's in his letters from prison. And this little short video sort of just put Bonhoeffer's words to writing. But Bonhoeffer, I think, exquisitely explains. Why our world is in the mess that it's in, and it has less to do with malice and more to do with stupidity. Um, It is fascinating to listen to. I think I listened to it and I was like, "Holy cow!" Well, I was just
2: thinking of the proverb we read the other day: "He who hates correction is stupid."
0: (laughs) Yeah, and he sort of explains this in a way that you know, and it's not necessarily the stupid that we think of, like that you're just some kind of adult, but it's more like you're programmed to be stupid in this instant gratification, social media culture that we live in. And he's obviously writing from 1940s Germany, but we see this even more highlighted in 2022's America. Um, So give this a listen, share it with somebody. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, But that is all that we have for today. Is there anything you would like to end on? Nope. All right. Yeah. Mm Pray for us, reach out to us, um, comment. We'd love to hear what you guys think on these different topics. We'll have our devotionals coming out on Monday through Friday. um, And you'll find links in our show notes to the Christian podcast community, which we are now a part of, from a bunch of wonderful Christian men and women um, sharing their thoughts on all sorts of topics related to God. So jump on there, follow those links, find a podcast, give it a listen give them a review. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. But that's all we got. Love you guys. God bless.